Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice with a news bonus, Courts in the Time of the Coronavirus. Now, the other day I recorded a bonus for you that you may have heard already about what to do about jails and prisons now that the coronavirus is a reality in our country. And I talked there about how jails and prisons were very, very dangerous places, lots of communicable disease on a regular basis, that this uh, is, of course, not a regular time with this highly contagious, uh, deadly disease, uh, which could be passed either into or out of jails, uh, infecting not just those inside, but the general population. And I recommended a number of things, such as putting fewer people in uh, and getting more people out. Well, let me take on a little different aspect of how the coronavirus is influencing justice. And this is the effect on courts and what courts do in the system. Uh, let me be a little more specific. Courts, of course, we could look at them as having uh, two basic sides, the civil side and the criminal side. And what we know what courts do is they look at disputes on the civil side. Those are generally disputes between private individuals. They could also be between a government and a private individual, a company and a company, a company and a private individual. At any rate, they are non-criminal matters. And in those matters, in any case in which you'd have to have people come to court in a civil case, in which you'd have to have jurors come uh, in a civil case, uh, lots could be at stake, lots of money, property, important rights, but with very limited exceptions, things like child custody or, let's say, a protection from abuse order in a domestic violence case, which is actually a civil matter and not necessarily a criminal one, depends very much on the state, on the jurisdiction. Those things should simply be put off. There is no reason that even a delay in justice, which is a serious thing, of course, should not wait for some kind of, if not a resolution, at least an abatement of the danger posed by coronavirus. There is no reason to call in jurors, to have them sit in a box, to have them sit in a room all day while we wait to see if they're called. No reason to, con to conduct civil cases whatsoever. Now, on the criminal side, Obviously, things are different. You have people who are charged with crimes. They may or may not be violent crimes. They could be a variety of things, but they are charged with crimes. And some of them, before trial, are held in jail. And I talked about that aspect of things in that last bonus. Uh, what I want to address here is kind of the other side. I talked about the health uh, imperatives and how we have to get people out of jails and prisons if we can do so, and if we can do so safely uh, to prevent the spread of a disease. Uh, but isn't there something else? I know a number of listeners must have wondered, hey, isn't there a constitutional right to a trial? Okay, so this would impact people who have uh, been in jail, maybe they're held prior to trial, don't they have a right to a trial? And more specifically, to a speedy trial. That's right. There is the right to a speedy trial under the United States Constitution. It's, it's in fact, the right to a speedy and public trial. We don't have to talk about the public aspect of it just now, but the speedy trial right is an important right that impacts cases 
all the time, not just now, because you don't want people sitting in jail waiting for trial, or even if they're not sitting in jail, waiting around forever until a trial happens. Uh, people have a right to a speedy trial and a resolution of criminal charges against them. So what happens when something like this comes along? An unbelievable, unprecedented public health emergency, and maybe the person is waiting for trial in jail. Maybe they're out, but still waiting for trial. What does what impact does that have? Well, we're in a situation in which there must be a balancing of concerns. On the one hand, you've got the uh, the, the public health imperative. As I said, uh, the less we're in the justice system as jurors, as judges, as lawyers, certainly the better. But people who are incarcerated have that other right too. And people who are not incarcerated prior to trial have the right too to a speedy trial. How is that impacted? Let me just talk in general about the speedy trial right. Uh, it's in the Constitution. Like I said, it's not really defined it just says they have a right, people have a right to a speedy and public trial. The definitions, what does that mean, come in statute. So we have a federal speedy trial act and we have state laws that provide for speedy trials as well. Those state laws are the ones I'm most familiar with and they usually set some kind of time parameters. Uh, where I used to practice law in the state of Maryland, I believe we had something uh, called the 180-day rule in our state Speedy Trial Act. So any case had to go to trial within 180 days, roughly six months from, I forget if it was the date of indictment, the date of arrest, the date of charges. Uh, you had 180 days to get it to court or you had to dismiss it. Now, there were certain exclusions from the uh, Speedy Trial Act in Maryland. Uh, for instance, if the defendant or the prosecution asked for a, uh, a delay, would that count? Well, if the prosecution asked for a delay of, say, a month, uh, the clock would still tick. But if the defense asked for a delay of a month, the clock would be suspended for that amount of time. Sometimes the defendant would waive the right to a speedy trial in order to get some other benefit. So uh, it was far from exact. Even with a number like 180, you had to make a calculation. Delays had to be subtracted. The reasons for the delays had to be accounted for and considered. So it's not a definite thing every time. 180 means the trial is off. But occasionally, cases did get dismissed for violation of the speedy trial rules and the speedy trial statutes. It was frankly rare. It still is rare. Courts are reluctant to cut people loose just because the case didn't get the trial. But on the other hand, look, uh, people have a right to, especially if they're incarcerated prior to trial, to get that case over with and move on. Uh, there is also an interest in gathering the evidence while it is still fresh. If it takes two years or three years for a case to get the trial, it gets harder and harder to defend, to get witnesses there, to get evidence scared up uh, the longer the time uh, is that goes by. So, two important values in contradiction, clashing right now, the right to a speedy trial versus this public health emergency. Uh, I would predict you're going to have defendants who are held where court can't be convened for a while. Some of those defendants are going to bring speedy trial motions for dismissal. Whether courts will grant them, I have a feeling the courts will grant 
uh, some of them, but not all of them. Why? And this is just my gut. My gut is that the courts will see that this is an overwhelming emergency, that they just couldn't do any better, that this defendant could not be let out in any particular case, posed a public safety danger, something like that, and therefore the charges will stick. That's my assessment. Whether I'm right or wrong, those are the broad parameters of the issue. You can always turn to us here on Criminal Injustice for the latest in legal news, whether it's coronavirus-oriented or something else, uh, and we'll be there with you all the way. Always go to our website, that's www.criminalinjusticepodcast.com, for all of our interview episodes, our news bonuses, and other features. I'm David Harris, and I will be back with you next time. Criminal Injustice is written by David Harris and produced by Josh Rollerson. Find show notes and past episodes at criminalinjusticepodcast.com.